0: Welcome everyone back to the broadcast. Obviously, it's been a just a huge news-driven kind of week in UCLA athletics. Tons of stuff going on. Oh, not not really. I'm David Woods, Bruins Report Online, <laughs> UCLA site on the 24/7 Sports Network, and I'm joined by Tracy Pearson, still in quarantine. Tracy, day what is it? Day 70, 80?
1: <laughs> what you think? I'm just like a recluse, Dave. No, I, happened, I... I,
0: I've lost entire track of time. Oh. If it. I don't, I if, I don't if I don't if I don't get told by somebody what day it is, it could be any day.
1: Are you going outside? As much
0: as I'm able, as much as I can. But there's only I so many out, I... there's only so many walks around the block you can take
1: before okay. um you know. Yeah. You you run into someone because I went for a walk today, like down the street. It's like it's like friggin' Disneyland out on the sidewalk. I mean, I—it's just ridiculous. There's just too many people to avoid. I yeah. hope I like didn't hurt all their feelings when I cross the street before meeting them on the sidewalk. You know, yeah. Just, I haven't run into
0: that on like the city streets as much, and I'm trying to avoid the really dumb thing, which is all the people going to actual parks. Like, yeah, everyone's got that idea. So no, I'll walk around like literally my block. Um, so, you know, you'll, you'll have a passer by here and there, but not necessarily like a big crowd
1: of people, but yeah, I ventured out from my block and encountered way too many people that don't seem, uh, well, you know, all that well, concerned everyone. Yeah. Kind of not all that concerned, but, uh, and then I walked by a park and there was like 10 people there all talking. i all, uh, uh, what is it about, I think even smart people who are well-informed, still, when they see another human being, for they can't resist close proximity for some reason. I, I don't know what it is. It's like, ah, big deal on this one. I don't know. I don't know.
0: I, I, I've noticed, like, there's, a, there's an interesting, like, shift in this thing because I think s- some people who are not typically skeptical of anything have decided they're skeptical of this. And some people, like yours truly, who's deeply skeptical of everything, I, I don't know. Like this one, it seems like, yeah, being be, being very conservative with your decision making in terms of like not trying to get a potentially debilitating disease seems like the best call, right? Like I, And even from like a personal I, standpoint, but then from like the altruism, like, hey, let's make sure we don't get anybody else sick. That's right? the issue
1: to me. It's both of them.
0: Like, just why not err on the
1: side of caution? One funny thing, though, I don't know if you saw it, but there was a lot going around on social media yesterday from various millennials saying, "Hey, wait, boomers, why are you blaming us? We are 25 years old. (laughs) We're 37. (laughs) We're old. We have bad backs. We have kids. We weren't on that beach in Florida. Okay, that's generation Generation Z." Yeah, no, Don't you gotta blame uh, us boomers. Yeah, no, that's and the zoomers, like, dude. Um, yeah, zoomers.
0: no, we uh we uh we got nothing to do with this. And I think it's yeah. just gonna be like blanket, everyone's gonna call like young people millennials for like the next fifty years and it's gonna lose <laughs> it's all so meaning. Um, yep. but it already has no, it, it's just whatever. It's young people being stupid, but I can't tell you the number of like old farts who are still going to restaurants and crap or were as of like four days ago when restaurants were still open. It's
1: just. I, I, I guess we shouldn't talk about it because everyone has a pin, And I mean, it's just. But I, I don't. There's just some sensibility here. And there's some facts and there's a lot we don't know, but. It just seems to make logical sense just to err on the side of caution. Right, no, I, in, that's all it comes down to In Error the absence
0: the in the absence of information about like random thing, make whatever judgment you want. In the absence of information about a potentially lethal pandemic, err on the side of caution. This is like right. this isn't like robust analysis here. It's just, you know, be conservative with your estimates.
1: Okay, let's get away from it because everyone's listening to this to get away from hearing about the coronavirus because I, they can't escape it. People are so immersed. So let's talk They're about immersed. UCLA sports. Dave, I yes. just did an interview with Mick Cronin. Mickey! Do you think he likes Mickey? No. No. <laughs> I'm sure he does not. No. I, I would bet any amount of money. You know uh, he's a Mike?
0: Though. You know he's a Mike? He's actually a Michael? Yes.
1: Yes. I do know that. Um, very good interview. It's very fun to talk to Coach Cronin. Just as you can tell from any interview, he, he can talk. He likes to talk. But he's one of those guys that he can go on a bit of a tangent, but every tangent's interesting. Like, you don't want to – you would never tune out. Like, there are other people who can can talk, and you don't want – you just – yeah, you, you go into a zone. Yeah. But – so he's very, very interesting. He's got, you know, great, just some great insights about so much, and about the team, uh, about the season, about recruiting, which I we're this is going to be an unprecedented time in basketball recruiting because, uh, first off, it like that transfer the transfer rule is going to remain the same that if you transfer, you have to sit out a year. Uh, two. Uh, everything's closed down when it comes to official visits, unofficial visits. Uh, You can't have any kind of in-person contact on campus. Um, And then all the recruiting events are April had uh, an evaluation time that's been canceled. Don't know if it's going to be rescheduled. And then May is up in the air at this point. So, you know, I talked, uh, Coach Cornyn said, you know, he, he's doing a lot of evaluating on film, <laughs> which he says he doesn't like, uh, which is understandable.
0: Yeah, especially um, with basketball.
1: Yeah. So a lot of uh, uh, just uh, we're in unchartered waters at this point when it comes to so many things, including basketball recruiting. Yeah. But yeah, no. Well, I'm. We will be transcribing, and I'm thinking it's a two-parter. Once we write it out, it might actually be three, but it's at least a two-parter. So starting tomorrow. What's Here. today? Yes, yeah, tomorrow. Today's someday. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk basketball, Dave.
0: Let's we, talk. We
1: were. I had a um, a cousin. Well, it's my wife's cousin, uh, who said, uh, "Hey, tell your husband." His broadcast was more depressing than the coronavirus.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Not wrong. Not wrong. And I think but that's what we were trying to do. We were trying to set you a real baseline, everyone out there. Like, we were trying to give you, this is the lowest it can go, and it's only going to be up from here. That's what we were yes. doing for you, the people.
1: <laughs> we're givers. We're givers. So, um, we're going to talk, we talk basketball, uh, we talk football, if you remember in that last one. And now we're going to talk all basketball because that's more sunshine and rainbows. And it
0: is. It really is sunshine and rainbows. Um, So I've, uh, I mean, so the the season obviously ended on a, uh, you know, I wouldn't say a not great note, just it left on an unfinished note. Because frankly, that USC game to end the year was actually cool as hell. And even losing that game, it was great. Um, but now that we've had, I mean, what is it now? Two weeks to kind of reflect on this thing. Um, and just writing some of these analyses after the season of just kind of point by point, all the different ways that kind of Cronin hit the mark, um, or exceeded the mark that we set for them in the preview was really apparent. Um, basically every player improved, um, who was actually still playing at the end of the year, um, like clearly identified the guys who were bought in and then played them and improved every single one of them. Um, But then beyond that, even the hallmarks of Cronin's teams at Cincinnati were becoming very apparent by the end of the year. I mean, the defense, obviously, but even offensively, the strong points of the team over the last month of the season were the strong points of every, you know, decent offensive team he had at Cincinnati, Great offensive rebounding, great turnover percentage. I mean, Tiger Campbell had like, I don't know, one turnover the last month of the season. It was 20. But you know what I mean? Oh. It was um, <laughs> it was uh, a great uh, final end of the year. And it really kind of, he had already put his stamp on everything, which I think maybe is the most encouraging part.
1: Yeah, there are so many. It's hard to say the most encouraging because there were so many, and once you kind of think about one for a while, you go, wow, that might be the most encouraging because there were there were just so many from player development to, like, buying into his philosophy to playing defense. Wow. I mean, let's just look back on that. Going into the season, our bar was so low while we were saying, I just want a team that plays defense. <laughs> I mean, that's what a lot of us said, and <laughs> by – the, you know, this turn of the turnaround, they were playing, you know, decent to good defense. Yeah. I mean, there were some there were some very long stretches of good defense. And like you said, for me, like with the US, USC game, even when you lose. I mean, for a UCLA fan to lose the USC last game of the year on a last second shot. And for you to come away saying, "Yeah, I still really enjoyed that." <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, and that was my that was my takeaway, like immediately afterwards, and it's only gotten more like, "Oh yeah, that was definitely a great game. Like it was a yeah. lot of fun to watch." And yeah, it, but that's the thing—you want to feel like you just got punched in the stomach when something like that happens at the end of a game, and that's how it felt. Like that felt like remember um, Halland's second year when they were finally starting to you know, start to look like a real team. And then I think it was Celine Stoudemire and Aaron Aflalo was guarding him at the end of a game and he shot the ball from like the volleyball line and made it uh, to win the game. And Aaron right. Aflalo afterwards was like, yeah, I, I mean, I was guarding him. I just wasn't expecting him to shoot it from 40 feet out. um, yeah. And it was like a full gut punch. And that's the way this one felt because you're like, ah, oh, it's coming together. um, And then they just couldn't quite I do it. I was
1: still coming away kind of happy just that, you're um, emotionally involved in a game, and and the game's well played. Yeah, you don't. I mean, it's just that, really. You don't have to see all your fans out there. I, I know many of you are very dedicated, and you'll watch all these games. You watched all the football and basketball games for years, even though they were torture. You still could get up and walk away. Dave and I have to watch this. Yeah. <laughs> So just the fact that I was that we're able to watch a good game, even when UCLA loses in like pretty you know dramatic style, it's still just a pleasure just to watch a good game. Yeah. So thank you, thank you, Coach Coleman, for at least bringing that back. Well, um, I guess we're just making
0: it so that um, doing you know the, and not like look, it's it's an easy gig, but I don't want to sit here complaining about watching sports for a living, but. Watching some of those bad offer teams was brutal. And like it having was... to sit there and watch those games and then write about them and come up with some angle to write about them that wasn't like, "Oh my god, why do we have to watch this?" That sucked. Um We
1: did pretty well though, I, I thought. Mean, yeah, I mean
0: for for the most part, but it's still it it was an it was not it was a task. Um yes. watching watching and writing about this team not so much. Like it's actually it actually was a lot of fun doing it and covering it. And I'm you know, some of those Alford teams, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. Was I disappointed when they would miss the NCAA tournament? No. No, I was not. Um this one, not being able to watch them in the NCAA tournament, especially the way they were playing over the last month and a half of the season, that's a real disappointment. Not not being able to watch them in Vegas was a real disappointment.
1: Um so, so, so along those lines, Coach Cronin gave me a little bit of insight. He said I said, did you feel that you were going to get an NCAA birth? He goes, oh, oh yeah, we, we, uh, we did, the team, the players all just were really, you know, we were on the assumption we were going to play in the NCAA tournament. I mean, that, that, that was our mindset. So yeah. that's great, just to just no. know. Um, probably everyone's thinking in their mind, well, what's he thinking about Chris Smith? Um, in this interview – I'm not going to give it all away, but he basically says he really doesn't know uh, what Chris Smith is going to do because even in a normal situation in spring, it would still be up in the air. But there are so many things that have now made it even further up in the air. The fact that um, it looks like very likely they're going to cancel the NBA combine, the draft combine, and individual workouts. So – uh, you'd, I mean, we can sort through this and I can use, I want to use that word that so many people are using now. Let's unpack this, Dave. Oh,
0: don't do that. <laughs> don't do that.
1: When did that become a word? We've already talked uh, about it. It's, anyway.
0: It's corporatism, I think. It's another corporatism.
1: Yeah. Um, but, so, Chris Smith is on one MBA mock draft I think there were some like top 100 players too uh, listing. And I, and I think he's listed on one or two, but he's not projected to go high. You would have thought the NBA combine would have helped him, right? Possibly. Yeah. I don't yeah. think it would have hurt it more than anything. It would have helped him rather than hurt him. He's think, not going to. Yeah.
0: Help. I, I, I think he's the kind of guy he's not going to blow you away statistically um, or. Necessarily in a free flowing game because he can kind of lose track of things. But if you see him in a combined setting where it's just him, I mean, looking at all six, eight, six, nine of him, super long, doing the variety of things he's able to do in that kind of setting, I think he would impress people.
1: Yeah, I do too. Um, but Coach Cronin, and I asked him, uh, Will you have a conversation? And he said he's not going to necessarily initiate the conversation. But if Chris wants to talk to him and get his input, He'll absolutely speak to him. Um, the theory being that there's enough information. I think he also said something like, you know, people do what they want to do. <laughs> He'll gladly offer up his his insight, but um, he is not necessarily going to seek out Chris to try to recruit him. And and I see that reasoning absolutely. So, but overall, I think now. Would you say there's probably a, if the NBA combine is canceled and individual workouts, would you say that increases the chance that Chris Smith returns? And Dave, is it that big a deal?
0: Okay, so let's start with the first thing. Uh, Yes, I do think it increases the chances because Chris. Uh, just obviously based on those mock drafts, but even just based on the buzz around him, he really needed a Pac-12 tournament or NCAA tournament where he really shined. And if he didn't get that, he really needs workouts where he's going to, you know, show some teams some things. And if
1: Or both. Or both.
0: I mean, he really needed both if he was going to actually rise up into like a surefire draft pick. And that's just, it didn't happen. Um, I think circumstantially it would make sense for him to make a decision to stick around, especially given the massive improvement he made from his sophomore year to his junior year, playing in a more structured system, I would you would hope that he would look at that and say, you know what, this is the best thing for me to earn the max amount of money I'm going to earn in my life is to stay for another year and do this. Uh, but, you know, everyone's got their own unique situations and whatever. He might have his own situation where he wants to go and wants to go start making some money and who's going to begrudge him? Now from a UCLA standpoint I think it matters I I I I I think it would be good to have him back just as like a number one scorer but I don't think it's anywhere close to the most important thing. Um I don't here's what I'd say. I don't think Chris Smith being gone takes off too much of the upside of next year's team. Um for the same reason that like losing Dejon Thompson after his second year didn't take off the upside of uh Hallen's tenure in fact, it didn't seem to matter at all. Chris Smith was the guy who scored some points and he played some pretty good defense, but was he the most critical defensive player? No, I'd argue Jalen Hill was he the most critical offensive player? No, nah, I mean, kind of over the last month and a half of the season, I would argue it was Tiger Campbell and his and his ability to kind of control the ball and not turn it over the way he was at the beginning part of the year. So I think if they can keep their system in place, which by all accounts, pretty much everyone's bought in, um, if you've got a guy like Hawkes who's going to provide that kind of leadership on both ends, guys like Singleton are going to provide leadership, finding a guy who's going to throw in 14 points a game, it's not that difficult. Um, Hawkes could probably increase his output a little bit, but the most important thing is keeping that defense... And the buy-in intact, and I think that happens with or without Smith.
1: And and you touched on it, defense, yes, and then offensively, the key to me was Tiger Campbell. He was the initiator and facilitator. It, it the offense started to actually execute and function pretty well as soon as he, you know, kind of made a little turnaround himself. And I, I think you wrote that it might have coincided with when he took his knee brace off. It was Um, around
0: the same time. Like within a few games after that, he looked noticeably quicker. And I think that extra step, I I think it came, there was a confidence boost with him. Something happened. I think the brace going off, something mental kind of
1: clicked for him um, would be my explanation for what happened. So I think he's the key to the offense. I mean, someone who creates and facilitates. And like you said, when you have someone like that, To find someone who's going to be able to then get on the other end of that and and score 15 points a game, which Chris Smith didn't do. I think he only averaged like 13 points. So but to find someone who's able to do that among the various candidates on this team, I don't think that that is that big of a, a challenge. And. The one thing I really wanted to talk to Coach Cronin about was having Tiger Campbell and Dacian Nix in the same backfield. A uh, backfield, <laughs> <laughs> backcourt. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't
0: even, don't even hey,
1: hint at bringing football into this, Tracy. Uh, I just did. Sorry, guys. Um, and that's that's very exciting because then you have two, as he calls them, uh, initiators, on the offense. And get this, Dave. He said. That they are. The plan is to try to get more points in transition next year.
0: Ooh, ooh. ooh.
1: And that was so. Uh,
0: here's the thing, and I'll say this about the offense: I don't care if they never run. Like I really don't. It's fine. Don't. And you know who was famous for always saying they were going to run a little bit more in the off season? <laughs> ben Howland. Um, do you know? Yeah. Do you know whose teams never started running until they started getting bad? Ben Howland.
1: And remember when he did start it? Remember, it was such a controlled... Oh, transition. my
0: God. And you could see him just, like, so tight, like, when it was happening. Um, yeah, no. It, I, I really don't care if they ever, like, get super high tempo. I would like them to... And I think they did over the last month or so take more advantage of opportunities when there was actually like a legit break you need to be running right now you know off of a miss that goes long and you can catch it and get it on the run i thought they were doing more of that um but they don't need to go they don't need to go crazy with it they don't need to go up tempo off of an inbounds like just run your stuff um get better at it i thought over the last i don't know three weeks of the season the offense started to look like something you know they they moved the ball pretty well um but yeah i mean i I think he runs an offense that especially at end of game situations and tight situations he likes to iso like he likes to give it to guys and just kind of let them create against a defender um and that's a style um not necessarily my preferred one um but I think getting lost in what they're doing offensively, I I don't even want that to be a focus because I think it drove Ben Howland a little bit insane that people kept kept critiquing it a little bit over the time. So just don't. It's fine. Don't do that. Um, okay. no, just keep running that defense. It's great. Do that and score some points off of uh, steals. That'll be fine.
1: It is fun, though, to overall just think about, you know, uh, the potential of the program now. Oh, yeah. um, given what given what they showed, I, I mean, let's just talk about next year. Uh, point guard, you have Tiger Campbell. Who? I, I, correct me if I'm wrong. I think probably maybe most important guy on the team. Let's just. I'm going to say that um, I, you could with- make
0: you could make a Jalen Hill argument, um, just because of what he kind of just brings complete to the table. And it's all kind of unheralded stuff, but, like, the offensive rebounding plus what he's able to do defensively. But, yeah, Tiger Gamble.
1: You, you know, Jalen Hill, this was kind of stunning. I looked it up the other day, um, and, I, and I don't have it in front of me. He was not a great shot blocker this year. Did no. you know that? No. He well, didn't it, get many, many blocks.
0: No, he wasn't. Um, and But the— yeah, I mean, it was mostly like he has the ability to move his feet and get out on the perimeter and do, do some no, things. In terms he was of a
1: good defender, just not a lot of shot uh, yeah. Uh, blocks. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to look it up. Keep talking, Dave. I'm looking it up.
0: Yeah, but um, the, the argument for Jalen Hill is um, all of the stuff he does on the offensive glass plus um, his really kind of stunning ability to create fouls um, and then convert at the free throw line it's, it's kind of just like junkyard stuff, but it's important. Um, And so what he's able to do, especially when this team, this was one of the worst shooting teams UCLA's probably ever had uh, to have somebody out there who can reliably clean up the offensive glass and convert was huge for long stretches of the season. So it's, you know, Tiger Campbell's the initiator of the offense. It didn't go to another level until he was really starting to do his thing. But Jalen Hill was also a big key to basically everything UCLA was doing. So, I, I'll go Campbell, but I, I think you can make an argument.
1: How many blocks do you think he had in the season? Um, we're talking block totals, or are we talking block rate? I'm just looking at totals on the UCLA stat sheet. Okay.
0: Um, well, his block rate was the highest on the team... But total blocks I don't know 25
1: 32 okay yeah I mean 30 games you know it one what is that little over one I mean not not a great uh, and I'm I I like Jalen Hill's defense it's just that was that's one thing that he absolutely can improve upon yeah, um absolutely but where I was talking, where we went off on this little tangent, was Tiger Campbell and Dacian Nicks potentially in the same backcourt uh, is very exciting to think about. Y'all haven't seen Dacian Nicks. he's he's one of those guys that just has incredible vision, great passing ability. So to potentially play them together, play them when one's uh, getting a rest. Very exciting for the backcourt. You've got to think about David Singleton and Jules Bernard, uh Jaime Aquez, Jake Kyman, all those guys getting better. Yeah. Um and, and Chris Smith. You, you, Chris
0: Smith, if he comes back. Chris Smith. Um uh, like yeah. for him, there's gotta I think if if and when Cronin talks to him, the pitch is you're gonna be catching all these all these balls in like shooter's pocket where you can just take corner threes take corner threes really up your percentages look like a better shooter score 19 a game like all that's gonna happen because you have Dacian Nix on the on the floor I almost said field right. I almost said field we cannot get football <laughs> There's out something of our wrong brains.
1: with us so just thinking about it thinking about I mean Jaime Yaquez was a freshman. Mm-hmm. And he had that season, and not only—I mean, I'm not obviously—he he wasn't incredibly productive when it comes from a stat standpoint, but he did everything. Just though. his his whole presence and composure and assertiveness, and I mean, ability to make that last second shot as a freshman was really, really impressive. Um, and what we've also known—this is one thing to be excited about. Remember Lorenzo Mata when he was a freshman, his defense and how bad it was? Yeah. I mean, it was it was bad. By the time he was a senior, his defense was amazing. Even by his sophomore year, his defense was better. Just seeing what uh, the defense of Yaquez is going to be or or even Jake Kyman. Jake Kyman's defense, when I first saw him on, on the court at the beginning of the season, I said, wow, okay, this guy's – gonna be tough to play a lot because of his defensive ability by the end of the year there were a couple of times where he really stayed in front of his man and, and caused a turnover i mean he had gotten a lot better
0: well i think he's um, he he seems he seems basketball savvy like he's he's yeah. he cheats in ways where he gets to spots before guys and he's not like super laterally quick but he kind of can feel where the ball's going, where guys are going to move, um, and that's that's a skill. Um, so yeah, no, and Jules, I, I,
1: Jules Bernard was became kind, a a stopper, became kind of a stopper. Became yeah. kind of a stopper at different points. From what I heard, he was the guy who would come up to the coaching staff and say, "I want to get, I want to guard that guy, the opposing team's best player every time. I want to be that guy. I want to be that stopper." So. That's impressive. I mean, can you all just hear our smiles while we're talking about the basketball team? I'm literally grinning. (laughs) And Chris Smith, if he comes back as a senior, I I mean, Singleton, Riley, and Hill are juniors. Everyone else is younger than that. Yeah. I mean, just think about it. Let's keep going. 2021, when if DeShaun Nick comes back for his sophomore year, Tiger Campbell's around, that you still got that backcourt with David Singleton, Bernard, Yaquez, Kyman Jalen Clark, who's coming in this year, Will McClendon, and the front... I mean, this is... Now they're starting to play, you know, as an experienced team. That's the thing you have to remember. This was a really young team, too, this last season. Yes. So, I don't know. It gives you... It gives you a lot to be very excited about, I think.
0: Very much so. Very much so. And yeah, and I think um, obviously when you're talking about that youth and everything, the one critical piece that keeps coming out is probably need some more posts. um, Because like we were talking about, I think last time, Jalen Hill and Cody Riley, they're both going to be redshirt juniors. And so sticking around five years in school if you get past you know this this coming season that's a little bit tougher
1: um, yeah I can can't like I've been writing from the beginning I mean I've written it so many times I don't even explain it when I say you know you'll probably lose Riley and hill in the 2021 2022 season yeah um that's why they're concentrating on bigs I, I mean clearly just look at the depth chart I yeah. mean so many wings guards and you need some bigs and they're all you know, they could be gone after next season. So, as we were writing and broke the news that they're going after Joshua Morgan, uh, the center at uh, at Long Beach State, 6'11, 190, maybe 200 pounds, skinny, uh, one defensive player of the year <laughs> in the conference, uh, average point. Right. As a freshman averaged 2.8 shots, block shots a game. Um, has, you know, can really run, has good length. Uh, you just look at him and, and he's really skinny and you just think, wow, give him a year of development physically and skill-wise that he would be able to come in and really play a major role if he came to UCLA. And what, like I wrote today on the forum, from what I'm hearing is that UCLA... Is probably the leader for him. Uh, again, a recruitment at this time, right now, given the situation, it's it's hard to. It's out of the parameters of what we usually deal with. Of being able to judge what's going to happen in the recruitment. I mean, he can't take any official visits or unofficial visits. He he can't he can't go see the 15 schools that have been all over him. And in a week and a half since he's been in the transfer portal. Just imagine there are no bigs out there, very few bigs. This kid is has a great deal of upside and potential, like potentially NBA type of kid who wants to transfer. And then you've got all these coaches sitting around with nothing to do. So do you think this kid's just getting inundated with college coaches recruiting him in probably an unprecedented way? Um uh-oh. A lot of a lot of weird factors going into his recruitment. He, uh, from what I've heard, he loves Southern California, wants to stay. There's some Sacramento kids who um, are on San Diego State's roster that he's close with. That could be a factor, but UCLA staff has deep, long connections with uh, the Long Beach State staff, so it's. It's too hard to really predict what's going to happen with him, but you'd you'd have to feel that UCLA's in a good spot with him right now. Uh, we're trying to get a hold of the kid, but we're probably one among about 100 calls <laughs> that he's getting daily. Uh, I know that uh, Mick Cronin, like I wrote this morning, has taken it upon himself to recruit Joshua Morgan, talking to him probably daily, I would from what I've heard and what I would also guess, so I think he'd be a great addition. He'd be he'd sit out a year uh, for transferring and then be a redshirt sophomore in 2021, which kind of figures figures pretty well. You've got Cody Riley and Jalen Hill, as we said, would be fifth year seniors, and you'd have to doubt that. Either of them or both of them are still at UCLA, um, and you know the way the way rosters work now in college basketball. There's there really aren't any power forwards anymore. You know it's it's a center, it's a post player, and then a stretch man, four, there, a stretch four. There are very few even point guards. I mean, but let's say there's a there's a post, three wings who spend more time. Offensively facing the basket, and then a point guard combo guard, but so you don't necessarily need a lot of posts anymore. I mean, you need your starting post, you need your backup post, and probably one in development. Uh, the The construction of a of a roster is a lot different now. Um, probably, ideally, it would be like three centers, and then a bunch of guys between shooting guard, small forward, and the old power forward that are all, you know, kind of interchangeable a little. Um, so it looks like there's a big hole in the roster, but maybe not necessarily. I mean, not as bad as you might think because there just isn't that traditional back-to-the-basket power forward anymore. Yeah. And and it's a lot of it is kids there just aren't any kids that are growing up who who want to be that position a 6 7 you know college power forward most kids who are 6 7 even if they don't have a face up game believe they are because that's what the nba position dictates you know that you'd be a 6 7 small uh shooting guard so they are just i think the game is adapted to the way kids growing up now just there aren't they don't see themselves as power forwards. Yeah. And so, I, it's that's even, the way it goes.
0: Yeah. And I, I, it's a tough chicken or egg thing. Cause I know in the spacing of the NBA and just kind of the spacing game, it's just kind of devolved. Like there is no reason to have like two essentially low post players. Um, so I think also college coaches adapt to what they're doing in the NBA. And then, you know, it's both ends of it. The players don't necessarily want to play that position if they're six, seven. And then at the, the coaches end they're trying to run an offense that's more like what you know teams are going to be doing in the nba so it's a weird combo thing that's going on
1: right um so adding a joshua morgan would probably that'd be great because 2021 you'd have kenneth nuba who would be a redshirt junior um morgan would be a redshirt sophomore maybe one of Riley and Hill hang around for a year. <laughs> maybe. If not, you know, they'll be looking they'll be looking for a post in the 2021 class, too. Um, so that's where that would be. And then, man, I, I, I just thinking about point guard, Dave, I, I mean, what's the only threat to that over the next two seasons that maybe Dacian Nick's is so good he leaves sophomore year, or Tiger Campbell is bored, and by the time he's a redshirt junior, he wants to leave. I mean, that's about as nailed down as as you can feel at UCLA's point guard position for the next two seasons. I would think. Yeah,
0: I think because even if you say Knicks might leave, it might be one and done. Um, even though, like, you know, I think he's really good. I don't know, looking at him, if he's one and done. Maybe who knows. Um, but even then, I mean, Tiger Campbell's not going anywhere after next year. So then you would just have to make sure you recruit pretty heavily for that, that cycle with, like, I think you still have to try to get a point guard in the next two cycles just to keep the thing loaded up, but it doesn't become an actual issue for at least a couple of seasons.
1: Well then, and then they got Will McClendon, Mm -hmm. who is, is basically a combo guard. I mean, he's probably more of a shooting guard, but. Again, the way you kind of define positions these days is, you know, at least in a lot of, when it comes to guards is who you who do you defend? And he can absolutely defend a point guard. Well, well and McClendon. frankly,
0: Cronin's offense. I mean, it's a pretty basic offense. I'll say that. Um It didn't... I mean, it started moving a lot better with Tiger Campbell in there, but, like, this thing looked pretty much the same for long stretches of the season, whether it's Singleton or Campbell in there, because I think there is some truth to maybe it doesn't necessarily require a true lead guard to just function. I think that took it to another level. Um, But you could, you know, you can run it with Singleton, and if you can run it with Singleton, who's not a point guard, you can run it with, you know, combo guard. And the
1: difference... Well what Tiger Campbell brought to it was his ability not necessarily to create through his passing, but it was creating off the bounce. I yeah. mean that's where And then he you really just need a garden
0: for quickness.
1: Yeah. So it's just it's looking at this, um looking at their depth chart, you you've gotta be pretty encouraged. Um you'd have to think they'll look obviously like i said a a post you know probably two post players over the next over the 2020 and 2021 cycle because we're not done with 2020 yet especially with uh uh the transfers uh like you said probably maybe a point guard uh you'd want you'd think about that um because of Dacian nicks possibly um and then I, I, you have the luxury, maybe, to go after, you know, a super elite uh, wing. One that can just come in, step in, and really make a huge, huge, huge difference. Um, that's, that's, I mean, in, this, in a recruiting era that's pretty uncertain right now, mostly just not because of the coronavirus crisis, but because of uh, the transfer portal, and that rule that might get put off of year your, that you're able to transfer one time and have immediate eligibility. This roster is pretty encouraging. There aren't, there aren't a lot of red flags going up. If they get Joshua Morgan, wow, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about this roster, not just for, obviously not for next season, but through the two 2021 season. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't know if I we've said that in football or basketball in, in a long time.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm looking at this right now, and it was like, this is, I mean, I think before the season, it's what we kind of talked about as a potential thing. And this is what I was kind of talking about up top, is that he hit every kind of mark we set for him. But the reality of the roster before the season was that, There are some parts here like there's there's some ability to craft probably a good defensive roster out of this group. And then you're going to keep them. Um, And that's what's happening. And now at the beginning stages of the season in December, I remember a lot of posts, including some from myself, where it was like, oh, they're probably going to have to jettison half this roster because they're not buying in. Um, And now look at it. Um, Really just a truly remarkable turnaround um, and job from Cronin to make it so that it doesn't seem implausible that they could retain the vast majority of this roster next year, and even beyond that, potentially.
1: Yeah, and I just I want to say I, I'm among everyone. I mean, we mentioned Jaime, but Jules Bernard. I, I I just think there's there's so much potential with that with that guy. Um, we saw it. We, as, you, as we said, he became a good defensive player. He's only going to get better. He he can shoot from the outside. Um, he has basically good offensive skills. He just needs to get more and more under control. He's, he's, he's a guy that's potentially very exciting, I think, that has some tremendous upside comparatively to a lot of the other guys on the team. Someone to, to really watch for to see how he develops and to see it as kind of a... A test, too, like we said, Cronin met every kind of expectation or bar that we set. Here's another one. I want to see how good Jules Bernard can become.
0: yeah, and that was one that uh, he his situation was actually one of the more so at the beginning of the year, I think for me, I was kind of in WTF mode on what was going on with Bernard and Singleton. Now, Singleton had the excuse where he had you know he had the foot injury. But it didn't seem like they'd become Cronin's guys and the way they had ended the year in Alford's last year um, where it was Singleton, Bernard and Hill looked like, okay, these are the three guys you can build around and everyone else can, you know, can go wherever. Um, (laughs) And then uh, to start the year, it seemed like Singleton and Bernard were both like completely on the way out. Um, And Singleton obviously became a starter in January. And I think Cronin started to recognize, even if he's not lighting up the stat sheet, there's some value to just what he brings from like a commitment and focus and all that kind of stuff. Um, Bernard, it still seemed like he was bucking against that. But you did start to see and you started to see that defensive buy-in. It's just general offensive basketball IQ. If he can just get better, really, just recognize good shot, bad shot. Um, there's, there really is a lot of potential there. I don't think he's, you know, I don't think he's a, a Chris Smith type scorer. I don't think that's really going to be in his DNA. But he could give him something, and he could be a potential starter down the road. Um, and if Chris Smith leaves, he could factor into that. You know, you don't know how it's going to work out with Campbell and Knicks. Maybe they can play alongside each other. It'll be interesting to see what that looks like defensively. But if it's just one of them, then there's going to be an open spot. um, And maybe that's Bernard. Um, Especially if they have to go four guard. And, you know, with Hawkes or or Bernard playing the four. Um, So it'll be interesting. Really interesting.
1: You were saying that they were playing like a sweet 16, a top 16 team in the country by the end of the season.
0: Yeah, I I would say through, yeah, basically from the beginning of February on, they had basically the statistical makeup of a top 20-ish team. Um, And for a stretch there, it was like top 14. Um, They were really, really looking good. And the thing to remember about that is they were only just starting to get it. Um, I, I think it's... When we're talking about this team for next year, I mean, the Pac-12 generally is going to look different. Oregon loses a bunch. Arizona loses a bunch. USC has its usual crap going on. Um, UCLA probably... is should...
1: losing a lot, though. Yeah, and they've got They're their losing, usual crap I mean, going on, too. Their top... Yeah, and their usual crap, but their top four scorers. Right. right. Um, yeah. UCLA should
0: be the favorite in the conference. Um, there isn't really a strong next contender um so uh, there's potential for next year let's knock on wood let's get next year starting on time and no other crap going on in the world um there's potential next year they have an elite year like an elite ucla year not an elite steve alford year but like there's potential for them to be an elite eight final four team um, that's
1: where I was going with this. I wanted you to say it. No, but there
0: that's and it's potential. I mean, some things could go wrong. They could lose some guys, but I think I think what I would say is this. Um if Chris Smith is the only one who left, that wouldn't change that statement for me. Um and if he is back, I would say it makes it even stronger, but I think there's still that potential because you can't underestimate team-wide buy-in, and I think I think by the last month and a half of the season, they had it. And with UCLA-level athletes running in a Cronin system that worked pretty damn well at Cincinnati, I don't know. I like the way that potentially looks for an entire year.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's – you. Uh, this team comes back intact. And conservatively, you said end of the season, top 20 last year. I mean, just right there without too much hype.
0: That's Sweet 16, Thank team. You-
1: Yeah, I mean, that's – UCLA fans, that's something to be excited about and look forward to that there's an actual team and season that you can get emotionally invested in. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. There's there's so much – yeah, I mean, and looking at all these guys, like I keep going back to Hawkes who just looks like – I don't know. My comparison for him is like 15 guys you've seen like play for Wisconsin over the years who are just like tough – like, rebounding, like, just kind of jerks on the court. And I think he's going to be that guy. And he's going to play, like, three or four years, and it's going to be, like, just kind of fun to watch him grow as a player. Um, Yeah, there are
1: certain guys that you just look at and you understand. They kind of have a little bit of ice in their veins. Yeah. They're kind of, you know, they just go out there. They don't get that nervous. They're just made for, for big situations and to take it upon themselves. And he's one of those... He's
0: one of those guys. Well, this one—if you're looking for your Aaron Aflalo, he is your Aaron Aflalo in this in this collection of dudes. Um, Very clearly, like seizing a leadership role as a true freshman, and like by what four weeks into his true freshman year,
1: that doesn't—that's not typical. Um, So, here's the other thing that I found really satisfying with the season: how many times. Between football and basketball, have we, you and I, analyzed a team and personnel, and made suggestions, and um, they, they they didn't come to pass. Uh, I, I mean, just that right there, a lot of times, yeah, right. Or they came to pass a lot later <laughs> than what we even said, or the coach. There's something the coach is doing and you go to his press conference and you ask him and he comes up with some kind of just irrelevant explanation. Mm-hmm. Or let's say let's say the explanation makes sense. Of, it's semi-valid at the moment, but it's got kind of an expiration date on it. And you understand, oh, three weeks later, okay, nothing's changed. That's BS. Right. Mick Cronin told us at the beginning of the year when he was pulling everyone, <laughs> they'd walk out on the court and trip on their shoelaces, and he'd say, you, you're out. I mean, yeah. he was pulling everyone, yanking them, and he said, hey, this is this is tryout. This is audition. Usually coaches say that kind of stuff just to mask something that they're doing that makes no sense, and it keeps going on and on. It, this was the truth. He literally was just saying, hey, I'm going to keep throwing all you guys out there. I want to see who can play. And he narrowed down the whole uh, rotation down to, I mean, it was a tight, what, eight guys, maybe? Seven,
0: eight, Um, yeah. I mean, it kind of depended on how much Kaiman was playing that day.
1: Wasn't pulling people like he was. He'd pull them when they legitimately did something really stupid or did not play hard. I mean, what? what— Cronin said was the truth, <laughs> and actually was validated by the end of the year. Uh, I mean, all of this stuff is really the fact. You know, like we've said it before. David Singleton was put in team change. Prince Ali's minutes were limited. So many things, and I don't. I just have to say, and just in talking to like Coach Cronin in that interview, and talking him, talking to him before. This staff just completely gets it. They there are so many times Dave, you and I have said, well, why are football and basketball? What is this? Why is this theory? what is that well, we're, and we're trying to make heads or tails of it and we never did, you know Or I'll just say it, Steve Alford talking about defense <laughs> How many times did he talk about defense in an interview? You know it's all about defense for us. <laughs> what? I mean, (laughs) just, it's so, I'm drilling down even deeper on how enjoyable it is to have a program with a coaching staff that absolutely gets it, that isn't doing bizarro world things that you don't understand, and, I mean, does stuff that they're, they're not lying to you about what they're trying to do. It's just – it's really, really, really ridiculously refreshing to do this. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Oh, I, I want to shout out one other guy um, because we're talking about his defense. Um, but I do want to note, Jake Kyman is a true freshman hitting 40% of his threes. Yeah. That's not – that's pretty rare. That's – that's yeah. – when you generally think about a shooter like their freshman year is gonna be just about their worst year shooting for a lot of different reasons but it's just going to be they're not as strong as they're gonna be they're not used to the speed all that kind of stuff to hit 40 percent his freshman year he's uh, like fearless prediction as long as he's like you know taking a reasonable volume he's gonna hit 50 percent at some point in his ucla career like that's going to happen yeah. If you were looking for UCLA to finally have like a Lee Humphrey or whatever to like just annihilate some team in a Final Four, uh, that might be your dude. Because shooters like that don't come around too often. 40% as a well, it, freshman is nuts.
1: It kind of reminds me, it's a little Jason Capone-esque to me. If you remember, he came in he just started shooting the crap out of him as soon as he came in. Right. You know what? I should look up to see what. Let me let's see his
0: percentage. I want to see this.
1: Oh, crap. Yeah. Uh, first year was 47%. (laughs) That's pretty crazy. (sighs) Yeah. And then second year, 45. He went down. He kept going down because he kept shooting more. Yeah. That was where the
0: volume increased. Um, but still, I mean, like, Mike Roll was what? He was like 50% by his junior year, I think. Dude shot like 30 something percent his first year. Um, this is that was something special. And yeah. to take over he took over like two or three games with that shooting. Just Yeah. That's 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 really wild for a true freshman.
1: So just yeah,
0: wanted to throw that out there.
1: No, that's a good that's a good throw out. Good um, throw out. So I think we have effectively counteracted our uh, broadcast from last week. You yeah. think? Yeah, I think so. I think we've done it okay. Enough talk. enough butterflies and rainbows and unicorns?
0: Yeah, we blow that up your up your butts, everyone. <laughs> yeah,
1: but very exciting and I I think y'all should get very excited about ba- uh basketball recruiting too. Um I think coming off this season uh with the way that staff kind of showcased its ability to turn around and improve players uh, showcase Chris Smith in a very NBA-esque way. Here, Chris, take the ball. Yep. Right? Um, uh, Just being able to actually get a post player. If you're a post player and you know you're a post player and you want to be a post player in the NBA, your college team better damn get you some touches. That would be the most frustrating thing for anyone, if yeah. you, you you can't get the ball fed to you, I mean, clearly the offense ran that way.
0: Yeah, um, much more um, so than any of those like pretty Steve Alford offenses.
1: Oh, there were so many times you just had to be saying,
0: "Hey, Damn, throw, throw it, it to that that seven foot guy who who makes everything he shoots."
1: Yeah, you know he only averaged, like twelve points a game. Two. I God. mean, Thomas Welsh well, should have averaged seven, 16 points.
0: Not, not to go back to like a Wisconsin analogy, but if Thomas Walsh played for Wisconsin, he would have had like 19 points a game his final three years in college. Like You yeah. would have just been, oh, okay, I'm just going to throw it to you 12 feet from the basket on the baseline, and you're just going to make it every time? Okay, that's going to yep. be your entire offense. Like The entire thing is going to be getting you the ball in that spot.
1: So, so this was like, there were some real calling cards here in recruiting for Mick Cronin. To throw out this season, just on display. Um, so I, I think, and I really think this staff gets it on how to uh, personnel management, what they want. You know, remember during the Steve Alford years, they were always trying to first go after, you know, the McDonald's All-Americans, the top twenty-five guys, and all we kept saying is you can't have, not even 13 sc- guys like that you you can't even have five of them i mean the the makeup should be seven or eight three to four year guys and then you know two to three at the most you know one and doneer guys you know and and they obviously get this you know um taking a guy like jalen clark and will mcclendon those two guys are athletic, defensive-minded players who play really hard, who get it, are good kids, and they're not one-and-done guys. Those are part of the seven to eight guys, and those are the guys that you that you really win on. So I just like the whole everything. I like all the decision-making, That's all the decisions that have been made. But especially in recruiting, it's very, it's very exciting because they are going to go after those kind of guys that, that you know we know is the basis for a winning program, and then they're also going to go after the super elite guys. Yeah. So are we excited all excited dance? enough? Yeah, that's. I have to think. We pumped up. But that's him up. about it for me. That's we about it for me. All right. Yeah, we pumped them up. Be excited, guys. Get excited.
0: Hopefully it happens. Um, All right. Well, that's it for us. For Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods. Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network.
1: And we'll talk to you again next time. We'll see you later.